bit frustrated this morning. I'm, I'm going to go ahead with the uh, um, message on child rearing, uh, but I'm, I'm a little frustrated. It's said that a preacher needs always to be ready to do three things. He needs to be ready to preach, ready to pray, ready to pack. <laughs> Hopefully you won't send me packing. I've already prayed. But the preaching part this morning, I, I got to thinking last evening and, and then again this morning uh, how many of our young families are away. And so I was thinking to shift gears and do something else, save for another time. But we will go ahead with it. The title of this morning's message is To Save Our Children. To Save Our Children. You remember last time we looked into Proverbs 22:15, and we tried to expound primarily the first part of that verse, Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. We saw that our responsibility as parents is nothing less than to stand between our children and the outcome, the inevitable outcome of the foolishness that's in their heart, which they will choose if left to themselves. We call this the doctrine of original sin, and what we want as parents is to stand between our children and their own self-destruction. We want to follow up on that this morning. As I say, the title of the message is To Save Our Children. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 is where we will begin. We will take a rather topical approach to it this morning. But we will begin here with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And then, once you have that, keep your finger there or something and look back to Psalm 34, verse 11. Psalm 34, 11. In essence, these two verses say the same thing. Psalm 34, 11. Here the psalmist says, Come, my children, look to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Again, come, my children, listen to me. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And here's our focus. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as every time that we come to your word, we're conscious of our need of your spirit to teach. And how few subjects there are that are more dear to our hearts, more important to us and the subject of our children, seeing them come to know you. Lord, we ask that you would use us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in Psalm 34:11, we have the psalmist calling his children, listen to me, and I'm going to teach you. And the focus of his teaching is, he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, we saw some of that last time. That is the foundation of knowledge, the foundation of wisdom. Before we can begin in this life rightly toward a successful end, we must have a life that is rightly oriented to God. And that is what is bound up in this idea of the fear of the Lord. And so the psalmist says to his children, what I want to teach you is the fear of the Lord. I want to teach you to have a life that is rightly oriented to God. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle 
commands the fathers and the parents to do the very same thing. When he says, bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Or the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. These terms have to do with all that goes into child rearing. Teaching, discipline, example, all the admonition, rebuke, correction, guidance. All of that is bound up in these terms, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But it's that, you notice, with a specific framework. It's not just teaching. It's not just instruction, not just admonition, not just discipline. It's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is to say, fathers, parents, bring up your children in a whole range of biblical instruction. If I can just summarize it that way. Bring them up with the teaching and discipline of the whole range of biblical instruction. That has to do with their faith. That has to do with their life. How they should behave. What they should do. What they should not do. Why they should do. Why they should not do that. What is right. What is wrong. What is true, what's false, why we believe in God, why we follow God, why we go to church, why we pray before our meals, why this kind of behavior is allowed and that kind of behavior is not. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with a full range of biblical teaching as to how life is to be lived successfully before God. And included in that, then, is the nurture and admonition. That is, all of the positive instruction, all of the negative instruction, all of the commands, all the rebukes, all the do's, all the don'ts. It is God and His demands upon us how we should live, what our goals should be, how to have a faith and a life that pleases God. In other words, bring them up in such a way that they will have a life that is rightly oriented to God. And so we bring up our children with this in mind. This is who God is. This is what He has done. This is what He requires of us. And so we teach them the full range of Christian discipleship. I've said that now several times over, saying the same thing, actually. I, hope, I want you to get that, and then we're going to flesh that out in some particulars like we did last time. But the point, simply, is bring them up to live for Jesus. Bring them up to trust in Christ, to live for Christ, to the glory of God. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or from a very personal standpoint, the psalmist, come here. Come here, son. I want to teach you the fear of the Lord. So here in Ephesians 6, 4, in the last half of the verse, we have a summary statement of your responsibility as parents. Bring up your children to live for Jesus, to have a life that is rightly oriented to God, a life that is informed by the full range of biblical teaching on Christian discipleship. The point, then, that the apostle is making here to the parents is God has entrusted these little ones to your care. And now your responsibility is nothing less than to return them to God. God has entrusted you with them, and your responsibility is to return them to God. 
Now, I said the title of the message is To Save Our Children. You might think that that is a little overstated. How can a Calvinist talk like that? But I want you to know that I got my, took my cue from the Apostle Paul, who says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 to the minister, Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, for in so doing you will both save yourself and those who hear you. And of course the apostle understands that at the end of the day, it is God and God alone who saves. But nonetheless, he says to those minister to Timothy, this is your role in how God saves. You take heed to yourself and to your teaching. This is the means that God uses to save. By doing this, you save both yourself and those who hear you. In that same vein, you parents, your responsibility under God recognizing all along that it is only God who can save, your responsibility is nothing short of this. It's to save your children. That's what you're after. And that's your goal, and it should never be thought of in terms of anything less. When God first gives you your child, the thought ought to come into your mind, and it ought to stay there as long as you have your children. That I want to see, above all other things, I want to see my children come to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus, to trust in him, and to follow him in faith. That's what we're after. Now, I want to impress that on your mind and your heart just as, as firmly as I can. And so we'll, we'll work that over from several different ways. And as I say, we'll take a topical approach and try to flesh it out in some various ways. But that's the bottom line. Now, last time I, I, I mentioned to you, I think about 16 times over, the importance of getting J.C. Ryle's book, The Duties of Parents. Just a tiny, you remember that, okay. Just, just a tiny booklet. If you don't read anything else on parenting outside your Bible, read that. Now, I'm told, uh, Mary Lou told me that they do have a supply of the copies. I sent you one on email. You can do that. If you'd like a, a hard copy of it, we do have some. They may be back in the track rack now. But we can get those for you. But please, give yourself to that and read the book. Now, one of the things that points that Ryle makes in that little book is this. I think this is his fourth point. He starts it out this way. He says, train with this thought continually before your eyes, that the soul of your child is the first thing to be considered. Let me say it again. Train with this thought continually before your eyes, that the soul of your child is the first thing to be considered. No interest should weigh with you so much as their eternal interest. Oh, on one level, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Of course their eternal interests should be first in your mind. And of course, as you train them, their soul should be the first order of importance. But of course we forget that. We become so earthbound that we forget the bigger picture of things. And so we need this reminder. And I think it's a very helpful one. And it's really, in, in many respects, just a summary of what the Apostle is telling us here. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Your first responsibility to your children is not to make sure that they have all of the latest and best amusements and all of the latest and best toys. Your first responsibility is not any of that. Your first responsibility is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's your focus. Everything else fits into that, but that's your focus. What I want for my children above everything else is to see them safe in Jesus Christ. 
And so the psalmist says, Come, my children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Or Ephesians 6, 4, Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, one of the, one of the important points to stress here, then, is that this has to be maintained as your focus. You folks who are, whose children are gone, you're old like me, and it's too late and all of that. I'm sorry for all of this. But one of the things that has come with my lofty age, and I've been in this long enough. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I've been in the ministry myself. Oh, too many years. One of the things that comes with that is you're able at this point now to look back and see the results of the activities of people and how they brought up their children and how it works and how it doesn't work. I have to tell you, there have been many times in my ministry where I've had to tell people, you know, with a warning tone, look, what you're doing is leading your children away from Christ, not to Him. And if you keep on this path, you're going to have Christless kids and Christless grandkids. And you know, there are many times when you wish you you could be wrong, but you see how a losing of this focus just inevitably, apart from God's grace, almost inevitably results in just that. You've got to maintain this as your focus. Your number one job is to bring up these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Every other consideration, every other decision in the home is filtered through that consideration. I want to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is what I'm after. Now, let me give some biblical examples of this, of how this looks. We'll take time to look at a few different passages. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Context here is the the Exodus, of course, the wilderness, wanderings. He's telling them, don't forget. Don't forget. Teach your children these things. And so in verse 9, only be careful. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. And you'll see this many times in the uh, Pentateuch, particularly in Deuteronomy, where Moses is exhorting the people, not only remember what God has done, not only rehearse this in your minds, but also this heavy emphasis, teach it to your children so they know. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Familiar passage in this regard. And I'll take the time to read the first nine verses. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you, are, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Well, you get the idea. You rehearse this teaching of the Lord over and over and over again. You write it on signs. You hang it in front of your eyes. You talk about it with your children over and over and over again. Look back at Exodus chapter 12. An interesting, I think, example of this. Exodus chapter 12. Of course, the context here is the the exodus from Egypt, but more than that, more specifically, the, the final plague before the exodus, the Passover, You remember the death angel came and the firstborn and all the houses were killed unless they had the blood on their doorposts and so on. Exodus chapter 12. Uh, let's pick it up with verse um, well, 24. He's telling us you, you obey the ceremony that I'm giving you. It's to be a perpetual ceremony. Verse 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Now the idea here is that God has established a certain ceremony to be reenacted in their homes annually. And part of the ceremony is not just going through the ritual of the eating and the blood and all of that. Part of the ceremony is to have the children ask the father, what's all this about? To which the father responds, we were slaves in Egypt. God delivered us by a mighty hand. Delivered us from Egypt into our freedom that we have now. I've never had the guts to do this yet. But I've always thought, what a powerful thing it might be. If at the time of our Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is a continuation of the new Passover, right? The time of the Lord's Supper. The elements are distributed. We have all the families huddled together in their little groups. We have the children ask, Hey, Dad, what's all this about? And Dad responds, Well, son, we were slaves in our sin. But God sent a Savior. And by His own blood and giving Himself on the cross, He died in our place, pulling the, paying the full penalty of our sin. And we don't want ever to forget that. This is in remembrance of him. And the, this bread and this cup, this is to remember Jesus because of what he's done for us. Continual reminders. Look again to the book of Proverbs where we spent a good bit of time last time. Proverbs chapter 1 through 9. And I, I don't know, I don't have time to really do even a good sampling here. But if you will not uh, jot this down in your notes, something you can consult on your own, and it's just a, a wealth of instruction here, I think, for parents. Proverbs, as we saw last time, a proverb is a short, pithy, condensed saying of wisdom. The Proverbs proper do not begin until Proverbs chapter 10, and you'll see that where we finally have it started, the Proverbs of Solomon, Proverbs 10, verse 1. In Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, we don't have Proverbs, per
per se. What we have is a series of lectures that are given by this sage to his son. And so you see this series of lectures, one after another, where the sage is talking to his son and he calls him to wisdom. And he calls him to the values and he shows him the benefits of wisdom. He shows him the folly of folly. As the child grows, he'll even take the son even to the red light district. And he says, you see that guy? You see where he's going? He's never coming back. The end of that is hell. And he shows his children and teaches them in very practical kinds of ways. I suppose my favorite passage in this, this section of Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 4, where he speaks of wisdom as a family tradition. And here he says, uh, let, let me talk to you, son. This is the wisdom that my father gave me. And it has proven to be good. Listen to wisdom. Guard your heart. Pursue wisdom and avoid folly. Well, wonderful samples of instructing your children in wisdom in Proverbs 1 through 9. Let's take one New Testament sampling and go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. One more passage and then we'll draw some observations from it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 5, here the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. In other words, this has been a family tradition in Timothy's household, his mother, his grandmother, it's something like the testimony I have. My parents, my dad's parents. Look again at 2 Timothy 3 in verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 15. And he says again to Timothy, How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, we're not given the details of Timothy's home, but we're told in these two verses that Timothy grew up in an environment where the scriptures were held out as supreme, and they ruled. And he was brought up learning the scriptures. As it's been said many times, he took in the scriptures with his mother's milk. That's what we want, this prevailing influence of the scriptures in the lives of our children. All right, now, some observations to draw from this. Some principles to guide us in our instructing our children, bringing them up for the Lord. Number one, we learn from these that religious instruction must be a constant process. Number one, religious instruction must be a constant process. Not just Sunday morning. Not just Sunday. Not just formal family worship. Not just hit and miss, but a constant process. Did you get that in Deuteronomy chapter 6? When you get up, when you sit down, when you go, when you come back, put signs on the walls, put signs on the gates, hang little verses in front of your eyes. Get the point? This is to be a constant process. This is to be a way of life. You're not going to get to the point and say, well, okay, I've gone to the Bible, we move on to other things. The constant process. Process. And that means very simply that, for example, when you're driving the car, it's not just goofing around, clowning around, laughing. Although that's wonderful, I'm not opposed to that. I told you last time, fun is a wonderful ingredient for a successful home. 
For example, when you're driving the car, sometimes you'll say, okay, what's your memory verse for Sunday school? You have them repeat it. You help them work through it. What does that mean? What is God telling you there? Or, those of you who are working with catechism, review your catechism questions. Or, when you're watching a movie, watching a television show, and something comes up that doesn't square with Scripture, that needs to be pointed out. My children had a favorite movie that they liked to watch. I let them watch it, but there wasn't a time it was played, but then I said, now, now, now. And I'd correct something, and yeah, Dad, we know. I'm not going to let it pass. This is a constant process. When you have a witnessing opportunity at work, and you're able to speak for Christ, your children need to hear about that. Talk to them about it over the dinner table. This is a constant process. Make it a way of life that you talk about the Scriptures. Talk about their dangers at school. Talk about peer pressure. Talk about the pressures that they will face as they grow older. Teach them about sex. Teach them responsibilities. Bring the Bible to bear on it all. And that brings us to our second point, number two. Number one was religious instruction must be a constant process. Number two, religious instruction must be central to all of life. Not just one slice of life. Not just one dimension of their training. Don't look at it that way. The religious instruction has to be something that is basic and central to all of life. The very nature of the Christian faith is that it comes to bear on all of life. And it's your job as parents to teach your children that. That brings us back again to Deuteronomy chapter 6. All this about talking about it and talking about it and talking about it all the time, all the time, all the time. When you go, when you come, when you sit, when you lie. Put it on the walls, put it on the gates, hang in front of your eyes. I don't think the point in all of that is simply to be saying, we shouldn't be talking about the Bible all the time. It means at least that. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point is what you're teaching your children all the time, all the time, all the time, is how the Scriptures come to bear on every aspect of life. And that's why you're talking about the Scriptures all the time, all the time, all the time. And so you keep the Scriptures Christ-centered. You keep them Bible-focused. You bring the Bible to bear on every aspect of life. And so you discuss their lives. You talk about what was going on in school today. Ask them about the pressures they're facing. Ask you about the choices they're having to make. And you work through those choices in a biblical way. Discuss their lives. Discuss events in the news and in society. And bring the Bible to bear on it. Teach them discernment. Teach them to think biblically. Teach them why you order your family the way you do. Teach them why you go to church. Why you pray before you eat. All of these kinds of things. Again, the nature of Christian teaching is that it's all-encompassing. And the point here is not simply to saturate your children's mind with the Scriptures. But it is to bring the Scriptures to bear on every aspect of their lives. All right, number one, religious instruction must be a constant process. Number two, religious instruction must be central to all of life. And number three, religious instruction in the home, religious instruction in the home is the normal means of childhood conversion. 
Religious instruction in the home is the normal means of childhood conversion. We see that in the example of Timothy. We see that in the example of Proverbs 1 through 9. Making wisdom a way of life. Religious instruction is the home, is the normal means of childhood conversion. Now, I'm not at all sure how to determine whether specific professions of faith, the moment of profession of faith, occurs more in the privacy of the home or after a church service specifically. Many a child, many a child has come to mom and dad at home with spiritual concerns. God has been working, and they are brought to a knowledge of Christ at, at mama's knee. Many times that has occurred after a church service. Many times that has occurred at a church service. And I don't know how to weigh it all out and say which happens more. But what is overwhelmingly clear is that the influence of the home in bringing a child to Christ is massive. The influence of the home is massive in bringing the children to Christ. That's just the way it is, isn't it? Now, do you hear that? Religious instruction in the home is the normal means of childhood conversion. If that is true, then you'll give yourself to it with every diligence. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14. I told you this would be topical. We're jumping around. Only a few more. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Here the Apostle is speaking of marriage, divorce, remarriage. Specifically at this passage, he's entertaining the question of whether or not someone who finds himself a believer, who finds himself believed to an, uh, married to an unbeliever, should he divorce him or stay with him. Paul's counsel is stay with him as long as it is workable. Verse 14, he gives some explanation. For un, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, if you're Presbyterian, you will find in this verse ground for baptizing your children. If you are not Presbyterian, you won't see water anywhere around this verse. What is the Apostle saying here? He's saying very simply that because of the presence of even one believing parent, that child is set to an immense advantage. No guarantees. We're painfully aware of that. But there is immense advantage to it. This is what we saw in Proverbs last time, Proverbs 22 Verse 6, train up a child the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Don't worry over the exceptions. Proverbs are not promises. But this is the way it goes. This is the way God works. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Our point here is simply to say that the example of Proverbs, the example of Timothy, ought to be powerfully encouraging to you. 
your time and attention with your children in the things of God may well be the means that God uses to bring them to Christ. That ought to be powerfully encouraging to you. Give yourself to this then, this happy prospect and give yourself to it with every diligence. To say the same from another angle, this is the reason God gave you those children, right? To return them to Him. This is your role. This is your responsibility. Of course you cannot convert them. Of course salvation lies in the hands of God alone. But as I told you last time, this is not the time. This is not the time to be hesitating on questions of divine sovereignty and human freedom. If you believe that salvation is of God, then you will give yourself to every means that he has provided to that end. This, of course, places much more responsibility on you than just instruction. Places the responsibility of example and modeling for your children what it is to be a, a Christian and so on. Religious instruction in the home is a normal means of childhood conversion. Number four, the dominating influence of the Scripture is essential. The dominating influence of Scripture is essential. Or to say it from another standpoint, the value and the power of Scripture must never be underestimated or undervalued. It is incalculable. Now again, this is a no-brainer. Is the Gospel, are the Scriptures, the power of God unto salvation or not? If it is, and if we have any concern for our children at all, we will give ourselves to this with every diligence. One huge mistake that Christian parents have made repeatedly is they forget this principle. And they give themselves to so many different kinds of interests, all of which are legitimate, very good. But in the, in the shuffle of it all, this gets marginalized. And we get away from the dominating influence of Scripture. There are some breeds of what we call hyper-Calvinists who among their odd beliefs believe that God saves apart from the Word. It's just an act of the Sovereign Spirit. He does not work through the Gospel. He works sovereignly apart from any other means. The Scriptures are very clear that it is by the Scriptures God brings us to life. If you'd like John chapter, or James chapter 1 and verse 18, He brings us forth through the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the same thing. If anything is clear in the Scriptures, it is that the Spirit works. Yes, He saves, but He works by the word. And one of the huge emphasis of the Reformation, a huge emphasis in the Scriptures, is it is not just the Word at work. It is not just the Spirit at work, but it is the Spirit by the Word. The Spirit by the Word. The Spirit works by the Word. Christian parents too often undervalue the power of the Scriptures. And so they allow things to interfere. Now, if this is so, 
that the dominating influence of Scripture is essential. If this is so, then in raising our children, rearing them for Christ, we must give ourselves to things like Bible reading, Bible memory, church attendance, family worship, discussion of the things of God. This ought to be the regular staples in our home. Regular staple, regular, regular. Teach the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, read the scriptures, make continual reference to the scriptures, bring it to bear on every situation of life. It is God who does the saving, but this is the stuff that God uses to save. In another church that I pastored, a lady came to me one time with some complaint about the children's ministry. And her complaint was that memory verses were assigned. Her children didn't have time for that because they were so busy with baseball. And you know, God puts you in these situations and you think, okay, I'm about to have a conversation that I'm going to hear about for years to come. Be careful. Bite your tongue, Fred. What do you say? All I could come up with was, I'll call her Susan. Susan, these are choices we have to make. If you think your baseball, the baseball is more important for your kids than memorizing scriptures, well, it's a choice you have to make. But I can't ask the children's director to cancel the scripture memory. And I was right. I heard about it. I was speaking to a professor that I had in college, Bible college, some years ago now. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord. Well, just a few years ago, shortly before he died, I was talking to him, and he made this observation. He said, Fred, the generation you were in when I taught you guys in Bible class, he said it was inevitable in class. I could start quoting a verse, and inevitably the class would finish the verse for me. Inevitably. He said it never happens anymore. That is a massive failure on the part of Christian parents. A massive failure. When I was a kid, I, I memorized yards and yards and yards of Scripture. Uh, my parents saw to it that I was in a Bible memory program. This is the stuff God uses, right? It's memorized scads and scads and scads of verses. Topically, sometimes long passages, scads of Scripture. Memorized so much Scripture that when I went off to Bible college, which placed a heavy emphasis on Bible memory, went through four years of it, I don't recall memorizing a new verse. I had to brush up on many, but I don't recall memorizing a new verse. Thank God for parents like that, right? Expose your children continuously to the saving influences of the Scriptures. This must dominate. Make the Scriptures the ground and the center of all of your child training. Yes. Your, your house must, your home must be marked by a prevailing atmosphere of love. We talked about that. There must be discipline. There must be just a, an overwhelming sense of fun and happiness. That's part of what a successful home is. We've talked about that. But there must be this above all else. The dominating influence of the Scriptures. Saturate their minds with the Scriptures. Know the Gospel. Make sure they know the Gospel. 
Give them a divine perspective on everything that they face. Bring the Bible to bear on it all. Tell them their need of Christ. Tell them that Christ is the Savior. Explain why and how he is the Savior. You can't make them Christians, but you can give them the stuff that God uses to save. Well, I don't have time. I was going to give suggestions, some practical suggestions for formal instruction in the home. We will have to do that another time. Let's look at one more verse. Look again back at where we started in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians 6 verse 4. If you'd like, by the way, just quickly some of the instruction, practical suggestions I was going to give. If you want to write quickly, I'll give them to you real fast. Number one, keep the Bible primary. We've already emphasized that. This is suggestions for formal instruction, those times of formal instruction in the home. Keep the Bible primary. And I'm going, I was going to flesh that out in several ways. We can't. Number two, use supplementary tools for instruction. If you don't think you're equipped to teach the Bible, it's fine. There are lots of resources out there to help you. Use supplementary tools for instruction. Number three, strive for, for variety. And number four, don't make it burdensome. Don't make it burdensome. I was going to flesh those out, but I don't have time. That's, that's for another day. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm sorry. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Who's Paul addressing there? It's a very simple observation I'm going to draw. Who's Paul addressing? Children, right? What's the assumption? Imagine when the church at Ephesus got this letter, or the church at Colossae got their letter from the Apostle Paul. It would have been a happy occasion, I'm sure. These little house churches they're meeting, and these congregation of people, hey, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul this week. Oh, good, we're going to hear it. Their worship service that week consists of, presumably, the elders standing in front of them, reading this letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul goes through it, and he gives these commands, and he says in verses 1 to 3, children, obey your parents. What's the assumption? The assumption is the children are sitting there in the worship service with the parents, right? There are a lot of things we can say about that regarding children's church, regarding the right emphasis on faithfulness and attendance under the ministry of the Word of God. But I'll just say this, that the impact of corporate worship with my parents on me was massive, just massive. I don't think there's any substitute for it. If you believe, as you should, if you believe that the preaching of the Word of God is the chief means of grace, you'll be very diligent to have your children in it. Well, what else can you do? Pray. 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 At the end of the day, it is God who saves. You must give yourselves to praying that God will use your efforts to bring your children to Christ. When my children were young, it was just just an unbearable thought to me 
that they could grow up to reject Christ. Just an unbearable thought. And it was part of daily prayer. God, save my children. Save my children. Number two, think. Don't approach this mindlessly. Think. Think like a Christian. Think about what you're after. Become a Become an expert on this. And give your mind to learning faithful and effective parenting. I'd like to flesh that out too. Number three, talk to parents who have succeeded. I remember doing this. A good friend of ours, he's a little older than us. And his daughter was just a, growing to be a wonderful young Christian woman. We sat him down in our kitchen one day and said, all right, both of them. George, Kathy, what would you do? Tell us about it. It was immensely helpful. Number four, read the scriptures on Christian parenting. There are lots of books out there, but read the scriptures on Christian parenting and think through those verses. Read the scriptures on childhood, responsibilities of children, and think them through. Read the scriptures on the responsibilities of parents and think them through. You ought to become, to the best of your ability, an expert on the subject. The stakes are too high not to. Your children are worth it. Oh, may God give us success in it. Let's pray. Our Father, how we need you and how we want, above all things, for our children to be saved. And we pray that you will not allow parents of RBC ever to become negligent, apathetic, forgetful. We pray that you'll always keep them diligent, bringing up their children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We pray again that you'll give all of them the joy of seeing their children come to Christ. We ask in his name.